Good evening, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. You're going to die. Thank you. It, it sounds like an action thriller movie or something, right? My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary. So glad you decided to come on out for Ash Wednesday tonight. It is an odd thing to have Ash Wednesday land on Valentine's Day. It actually happened in 2018, about six years ago. But for you trivia buffs out there, and before 2018, the last time these two dates were the same was 1945. 1945, the end of World War II and Nazi Germany. So the next time you're in Jeopardy, you now know the answer, or the question to the answer of the last two times these two dates were the same. You are welcome. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? You know, there's all kinds of great images and memes that are out there. You probably saw a couple that were rolling here at the beginning of worship. Uh, this one I really enjoyed, uh, this picture, uh, that you can't spell Valentine without Lent. It's like, nice. little spelling joke there in the dad joke level. I enjoyed that. I do hope any candy you've had is not ash-flavored. Now, <clears throat> It feels weird to have what some of us call a hallmark holiday right on top of the day we're supposed to stop and we're supposed to reflect. We're supposed to stop performing, take off our mask that says everything is okay. We're supposed to stop and sit in silence for God and acknowledge our mortality. We put a day to remember that we are dust and to dust we will return. To reflect on where God still needs to shape our character. In church lingo, we call this our journey to holiness, to make us more like Jesus. And on this 40-day journey from Lent to Easter, we resolve, no matter the failure of days gone by, we resolve to put our hope, our faith, our trust again and afresh in Jesus Christ. Now, but Valentine's Day is all about love. And it seems to always be about romantic love, but it can be about more than that. Valentine's Day can be about the love that everyone seeks to experience in their lives, that someone sees them, knows them, and cares about them. There are so many. There are so many scriptures in our Bibles about God's love and care for every single one of us. Read the scripture here with me tonight. It is on the screen for you. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. When Valentine's Day is expanded to include not just romantic love but everyone, it ends up being not really that weird at all that Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday share a day. God loved us so much to send Jesus, and today, a day we celebrate love, we begin the journey to Easter, to resurrection, to Jesus conquering sin and death and evil forever. God sent Jesus because God loves you deeply. Now, some of you might be wondering, why do we put ashes on our heads for Ash Wednesday? Now, if you've heard about it at all, you might call it a Catholic thing, and that is true. Catholics put ashes on their foreheads, but so do many other Christians around the world and have done so for centuries. There is evidence in the oldest story in your Bible, in Job, that the Jewish people would place ashes on their head, forehead, on their heads, when they were mourning and grieving. That story of Job is at least four, if not 5,000 thousand years old. 
Ashes and mortality go way back, thousands upon thousands of years. It is an ancient practice we reflect on tonight, that we remember we are dust, and to dust we will turn. And we turn our gaze to Jesus. As we commit once again, we are going to repent and believe the gospel. We go in the way that leads to Christ. Now, many Christians, besides putting a cross on their head, will also make a change for the next 40 days leading up to Easter. Historically, Christians, we have fasted from something like meat on Fridays, and this is where you're going to drive around town and see really weird restaurants offering fish on Fridays. This is why they do that. It's an ancient Christian practice to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays to not eat anything from sunup to sundown. Now today, we might replicate that. We might fast from something unhealthy. We might fast from a favorite thing. We give up something that might be blocking us for Jesus to help us refocus and bring us closer to Christ. I remember one year, I drank only water for Lent, and so I kind of guessed how much I would have spent on other kind of drinks, and I gave that money to a mission project that we were doing. There really is no one right way to fast for Lent. Find something to fast from that's going to help you Grow closer to Jesus. Now, you don't even need to fast from something. You could add something during Lent. Some people add scripture reading or a time of prayer or a devotional, regular worship attendance. You might even come to worship on Sundays and Wednesdays too. That's a simple change. Take one step this Lent. If you only come to worship irregularly, come twice a month. You come twice a month, come once a month. There is no wrong way to add a spiritual practice. There is a devotional at the desk for $10. If you want to add that practice to uh, your Lent, that's there too. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the connection desk for you, and they're designed for people who've never read the Bible before. Friends, it's not too late to start something. Whether you're going to fast or add, this season is wonderful to add something, to take something away and see how it draws you closer to Christ. The book of Mark is our Lenten journey. It is the shortest gospel, the shortest ancient biography of Jesus' life, and it moves fast. It is the action movie version of Jesus' story. It uses the word immediately all of the time. Immediately they go there, immediately over here, immediately here. You don't have time to get bored in this story. We're reading, we're reading through Mark through the eyes of the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, and especially especially how often they had no idea what on earth was happening. Have you ever been confused by something Jesus says in the Bible or just uncertain of how we should live as Christians today? I have. Friends, this series is for us. We're going to walk through their questions, their ponderings, looking for some clarity along the way to ask questions and maybe just give ourselves permission to live in the mystery when we have no idea what the answer is. Their world was chaotic, and these disciples were looking for peace. Anybody else live in a world that is chaotic, and you want to find some peace? This practice of for Lent, fasting, or adding can help you find peace. It can absolutely help you find peace in a chaotic world. Tonight, we're going to start in Mark 1. You're welcome to follow along with me in your Bible, on your favorite device, or it'll be up on the screen uh, with me as we go. Now, the first question you might ask about Mark is, or as we enter the first chapter of Mark, the question that we keep in mind is Ash Wednesday. Do you remember tonight 
that you are dust. Do we all know that our time is limited to do God's will and purpose in this place? Do we know we are broken creatures in need of a Savior to bring us back together again? It's that reminder that we are dust that keeps us working through a passionate faith, to a fiery faith, to stay focused on God's will for our lives. Remember, you are dust. To dust you will return. Repent and believe the good news. Now we enter Lent, we enter Ash Wednesday, asking who Mark is. Mark, we believe, is John Mark. He actually is referenced in the book of Acts in your Bibles and other letters. Mark does not sign his letter. Unlike some of the other New Testament authors, they say, hey, it's me, Paul, writing. Mark doesn't do that. But he's associated with Peter. He's one of the 12 disciples who walked three years in Jesus' footsteps. So Mark is one level removed from a direct relationship with Jesus. We first see John Mark in the story with a Mary, not with Mark's, John Mark's mother was Mary, not Jesus' mother Mary, because apparently Mary was a really popular name in the first century. In the story in Acts, Peter has been dramatically rescued from prison by an angel slapping him on the face and leading him out. Him out. Seems like he's sleepwalking, but once he's out and the angel vanishes, Peter kind of wakes up and he realizes he's free. And whose house does Peter go to first? When Peter realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. We think that is the same John Mark who wrote the book of Mark. John Mark also appears in the story of two missionaries between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas have a falling out, and a Barnabas goes with John Mark, Paul goes a different direction, but Paul doesn't hold a grudge. They have some kind of a ministry uh, follow-up, they don't get together, but Paul doesn't hold a grudge, because in the book of Colossians, at the end, Paul writes, hey, if Mark gets there, welcome him. At the end of Paul's life, John Mark has fully regained Paul's favor and friendship. Mark is a man who saw firsthand the beginning of the church. The church you and I are a part of, the movement of Jesus' followers to share the good news of what God has done in the world and in our lives. Mark begins like this. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I've been about a, if you've been about church for any period of time, you've probably heard or somewhat familiar with those words. We've heard about good news and Messiah and the Son of God but what did Mark mean the very first time he wrote them down? In your Bibles, good news might be translated gospel. It's the same thing. And you ask, what does that mean? Caesar was the ruler of the day. Caesar would issue gospels. Caesar would send gospels to you like a memo. He would announce military victories and his birthday. These were official memos with the seal of the Roman Empire behind them. The gospels would have been exciting news that the empire wanted you to hear. So Mark uses this language, sends it to the Romans. He's sending this memo, this gospel, that would have, and this would have caught your eye because what he is saying is dangerous and life-threatening. Mark is declaring the true king is not Caesar. The true king, the one that really has good news, is Jesus, not Caesar. So the very first verse of this action gospel is John Mark declaring treason against the Roman Empire. 
That's a pretty good opener to a book, right? I'm gonna read something that says, okay, you're declaring treason, let's see what Mark is gonna say about it. That is a grabber to the thesis of your paper. Good movie trailer open. So in this first verse, it is not Caesar who is God, it is Jesus. And I'm gonna show you how he is God through the rest of my book. The Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, all of those, those, are me, those come with the Jewish people. The Jewish people have been longing and waiting for their Savior and the Messiah, and here is Jesus, the one the world has been longing and groaning for. And Mark says, let me tell you about him. Let's jump down to verse 35 and verse 1. We're going to see how these disciples interact with Jesus. Now notice this first chapter isn't over yet. And if you skim it, we have met John the Baptist, we've gathered some disciples, and some of the other books about Jesus, that takes many chapters to get through, and Mark has covered that material before the end of chapter 1. Here we are in verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Immediately, the disciples lose Jesus. They had one job, keeping track of the Messiah and the Savior, and they lose him. Great job, guys. Success. No, as you're going to see, Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. And his followers and disciples are just going to go on the roller coaster ride. And that's true of them then. That is true of it with us now too. When we say yes to Jesus, we might have an idea of where we think our life might be headed. But do not be surprised. Don't be surprised, friends, when Jesus sends us in a direction we did not see coming. This translation says Jesus went to an isolated place. Some others say he went to a desolate place. And I see two things here in Jesus' action for us. One is the power of solitude in prayer. Jesus, being God, needed to get away from all the noise, everything that distracted him. We, likewise, need to get away from the noise of our phones, our devices, things that constantly beep for our attention. If we want to hear from God, if you really want to hear from God, God speaks through the silence in the quiet moments, so often not in the noise that we constantly fill our days with. Now perhaps the Holy Spirit is stirring in you tonight, saying you should try adding a Lenten practice and commit to five minutes of silent prayer every day. No devices, nothing else, just you sitting in God's presence to hear what God might say to you. It's not always stuff like go around the world and serve as a missionary. God might just say to you in these, those few minutes, I love you. Don't listen to those other voices that say, I don't. I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. Those are the kind of things we can hear God tell us in moments of solitude. There is power. There is Holy Spirit power in silent prayer. Second, Jesus is already in the isolated and desolate places. When we go through hard and difficult seasons, Jesus is already there. He's already there waiting for us. 
When our lives look like the worst kind of wilderness we have ever seen, Jesus is already there. As a matter of fact, Jesus does powerful work in isolated and desolate places in our own lives and around the world. It's when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end and we say, I cannot do this anymore, we find Jesus waiting for us, arms outstretched, ready to heal and make us whole. When we come to the end of ourselves, we find Jesus, and then the paradox, we become whole as we connect with Christ. Lent can be that powerful reminder for you that Jesus is not only in the isolated and desolate places in the world, and in our lives, but is ready to make us whole and to heal us in and through them. Friends, here tonight, especially if you're in an isolated and a desolate place, Jesus is already there. Jesus is already there with you, and there is power. There is healing power in solitude. Once those disciples realized Jesus was missing, they sent out a search party. A few of the disciples go track to see where he went. Now there's great power here too in knowing that these disciples, they did not go out alone. We are creatures that both need time in solitude and we need time in community. We need both. We are not fully who God has made us to be if we're not walking with a group of people and if we're not taking time alone to be with God. In our questions, in our doubts, in our search for Jesus, do we go solo or do we travel with a group? We need our own search parties. We seek to be the people that do what Jesus wants us to do. We need people to walk beside us, to bounce off questions and thoughts and ideas. We need others to help us when we can no longer carry ourselves due to what the world has done to us. In trying and difficult times in my own lives, I've only got through with prayer, knowing Jesus is with me in the isolated and desolate places, and with my own search party. So friends, tonight, who is your search party? Who is helping you get closer to Jesus? Perhaps your Lenten practice is to find a search party, trying out a life group here at the church. You can visit our website, legacyumc.org groups. Try it and find a group to journey through life with. Remember, Lent does not have to be about giving something up. Lent isn't all about giving something up, but it can be adding something like meeting with a group of Christians for support, prayer, and encouragement. So the disciples do finally find Jesus, and they discover it's time to move on to another town. He travels through this whole region called Galilee, the message, spreading the message he came to bring. Now we can think of the, the town of Galilee is just a town. Galilee is not a town, but it is a whole region. And at this time, it was thought to be a region of more than 200 small towns. Jesus and the disciples would get to see many sermons, see many healings in these 200 small towns, sharing Jesus' message and casting out demons. Now you might be asking, what was Jesus' message? What was he preaching? You can jump back just a couple of verses in Mark 1, and you get his one-sentence summary of his sermon. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so it's what we're going to share with you in just a moment as you come forward and receive ashes on your forehead. Just what does it mean to repent? 
If you ask somebody on the street what it means to repent, most of us would say it means to turn from your sins and become a Christian. Yes, that's, that's not bad. While Jesus, of course, means he wants people to stop sinning, to stop doing those things that fail to love God and fail to love neighbor, he actually means even more than that. For Jesus, repentance is even more than what we think. In the first century, repentance meant turning away from the social and political agendas that they were trusting in, driving Israel into a crazy and destructive war. We certainly don't put social and political agendas in place of following Jesus today, do we? The pastor is going to meddle tonight. We certainly don't put social and political agendas in front of following Jesus, right? The more things change in 2,000 years, friends, the more stays the same. There is such a temptation for all of us to see everything through your own preferred social and political lens, so much so that your every aspect of life is influenced by your preferred political party or your particular social passion. Jesus didn't want that then, nor does he want that now. Of all the different ways we can see through the world, look through various lenses, Jesus wants us to see the world and ourselves through his eyes. And then our social passions, our political desires get shaped as a result of Jesus. They get changed and tweaked through him. We should be the people that see the world and everyone through Jesus's eyes. That should be our lens. That should be the way we see others. We should see everyone made in the very image of God to be loved. Everyone worthy for God to send Jesus to show us how to live, die, and rise again. And invites everybody into the abundant life today and in the life that is yet to come. So tonight, as the ashes are applied, it is time for all of us, every single one of us, to repent, to turn away from seeing everything in life through some other lens but Jesus. So as we begin and seek a holy Lent together, may you be encouraged that the disciples, they didn't have it all figured out, but they kept following. The disciples asked questions, and they kept following, and has been done for centuries. Remember tonight that you are dust, and to dust you will return. So tonight, repent and believe the gospel. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this in season with intentional focus on you, on turning away what has kept us from you and adding spiritual practices like fasting and prayer to draw us closer to you than we ever have been before. May we find our own search party to journey closer to you together as we seek you in prayer no matter the season of our lives. So as we prepare to receive the ashes, almighty God, You've created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and a sign of our penitence, so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Holy Spirit, we lift up all the prayers spoken and unspoken, praying together in the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
power and the glory forever. Amen.